Welcome to Hillside Community Church's weekly podcast. We're glad that you've chosen to listen to this week's message and hope that it ministers to you today. Hillside's located in Keller, Texas, and if you would like to know more about us or to listen to previous recordings, please visit us at yourhillside.com. And now, this week's message. Happy Father's Day to you. Uh, I'll confess to you that uh, some weeks when you're putting the sermon together, they come together... It's different every week. Well, this week I have entirely too much. I'll just tell you that right up front. Uh, And um, some of it I'm not in the mood to talk about. (laughs) It's like, gosh, just one of those, I don't know what it is. So some of this is going to be a surprise even to me. Okay? Okay. We're in a series on Proverbs called Feast or Famine. And truth is, we're just trying to devour all the wisdom nuggets we possibly can in Proverbs so that we can live a little bit better, which we've defined as, living wisely, we've defined it as uh, competently dealing dealing with reality. And, And probably in Proverbs, aside from wisdom itself, no subject sort of emerges from its pages uh, as, as clear and, and prominent and prevalent as the theme of speech, what we say in our words. It's a really hard thing, even if you're doing a short series on Proverbs, to ignore it. Probably very relevant for Father's Day, any day, and for all of us is the words that we say. Um, and, and I got to tell you, it's impossible to overemphasize the significance of the words that come out of our mouths. Uh, or the lack of them, by the way. For both the speaker and the hearer, your words have tremendous impact. And I want you to just look at two verses that will help us real quickly see the importance of our words. A couple of texts. Here's Jesus talking to the Pharisees, and he's describing them as these evil snakes. And he says, the mouth, for the mouth speaks out of that which fills the heart. The good man brings out of his good treasure what is good, and the evil man brings out of evil out of his evil treasure, what is evil? But I tell you that every careless word that people speak, they shall give an accounting for it on the day of judgment. And then you read James. For we all stumble in many ways. If anyone does not stumble in what he says, he's a perfect man, able to bridle his whole body as well. So when I read those two things, I thought, oh my goodness. That's incredibly sobering. Um, Without question, the greatest sinning body part that you have is your tongue. Uh, Dallas Willard said the last body part, the tongue, to surrender to goodness, to submit to goodness. 
I think he's right. Of the seven abominations listed in Proverbs, three of them are with the tongue. And so when you see that, it's very sobering. And you realize that if I'm going to be judged for every single word I say, scientists believe that the words that you say, the sound waves of them go into space, and that if we had some like precise instrument, we could recapture those and bring them back. So is there a sense in which they never, ever go away? Well, according to Matthew 12, it's like, I think God has the instrument <laughs> that collects them all because we're going to be accountable for every word that we say. That is overwhelming when you consider the statistics, and I read plenty of them this week, about how many words we say in a lifetime, how many conversations we have in a day. Uh, absolutely incredible. Uh, so they're, they're, the impact that they must have, incredible impact on who we are, spiritually speaking, because... The most mature person you know manages his tongue. So they must have incredible, they must say a lot about who we are spiritually. And then on the other hand, you can see that God's going to make us account for every single word that we say. They must have incredible impact. Um, So, I was looking at Proverbs and I saw three things as I looked at this. And I literally went in, typed in, and we, were, we cataloged every single proverb on the tongue. And, uh, and there was three things that just sort of jumped out at me as we sort of underestimate, and this is what I'm going to say, there's three realities of what we say. There's three reality of the words that we speak that we underestimate. Uh, the first one is that we underestimate the power of our words, We underestimate what our words say about us. And we underestimate the word we need before we can truly truly change the words that we speak. So, let's look first at the power of the word. The power of the words that we speak. Very interesting, I came across this as I was doing research. And you might have already heard of this guy. He's a Japanese scientist who uh, um, has done for years and years and years studies of the words that Im- that, and how they impact water. And so this is an experiment you can do at home. I watched it many times to see, because you could do this right at home. This scientist would take water, put it in a jar, and then he would just tape either a positive word on one jar and a negative word on the other, and it's incredible the impact that the, then he would freeze the water and water when it's frozen will crystallize and you can see the positive and the negative impact of words literally in the crystallization of water. And then you can see it in rice. Like look at this one here. Here's the study of, uh, here's this study. You can do this at home. I watched it uh, over and over again, different, different people. Elementary schools do it in classrooms. Just put water, just put rice in jars, just rice that you've made put a positive word on it or a negative word on it. And there's, there it is in day one, and then just let it go. Keep going, guys. Here's, here's day nine, and this is repeated. So one side says hate, one's love. Look at it after nine days. Here's after 13 days. Uh, and by the way, this experiment over and over and over and over again comes out the same exact way. Uh, words that you speak to. So the elementary schools would open the refrigerator and have two jars, and they would speak to one in one way. 
and then one and the other. And then the, watch this on um, the crystallization part when the water freezes. We have this little video, I think. So that's just a few examples. You can go watch tons of these online done by uh, just everyday people. Uh, and it's just literally profound. I uh, just thought I'd show you that because I thought it was very impacting. Um, so when we think about the Proverbs words, look at Proverbs 18:21. I think it was the first verse that I have up there. Look what it says. Death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruit. This is a great verse. And it's sort of the most telling of when we're dealing with the power of words. So we got life and death is in the power of the tongue. Life and death, so that's a merism. That's what's called a merism, by the way. You take the two extremes of life, the two most critical extremes of life, and you put them at either end. And what a merism is, is it means to end everything in between. Not only the two infinitely valuable uh, critical things of the end, like life and death, but it means everything in between. The tongue has power to influence. So you can think of things that create on one end of the spectrum. You can think of things that limit on the other. You can think of generative on one side that your words can have, and then you can also think of words destructive. Just both sides and everything in between. And everything in between is because um, everything about uh, your existence, your, your social existence, is dependent on language and dependent on how we communicate with one another. It, it affects everything, promises we make to each other. It, it affects the reality, literally, that we have. So if we're talking about wisely and competently dealing with reality, then... When you think about what you say, whether or not to say it, how you say it, and when you say it, this is Proverbs, when you say it, you're never ever, if you're thinking about those things and your words, then you're never more in touch with reality or out of touch with reality based on your words. You're never anymore are you any, based on reality. Because your words sort of dictate reality. I can tell you right now, we could assess almost all the areas of our life based on what we've said in our lifetime up to now. The things that we've said out loud, things that we have said to ourselves, incredibly impacting because they have such power to dictate reality. And that's why Proverbs says, the heart of the righteous ponders how to answer. It ponders how to use its words. So I made a list, just so that we could go through it real quickly, of the different ways words have power, either on the life end of the spectrum or the death end of the spectrum, and everything in between it. 
So just think about it for a minute because when you think about a, when you think about a talk like this, we talk so much and uh, it's, it's just so easy to not really think about the power of what we're saying to each other. So think about these kinds of things. So here's a couple of verses. I got a section of them here. Let's, let's put them up there. The first one is 12:18, Proverbs 12:18. There is one who speaks rashly like the thrusts of a sword, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. And here you have two ends of the spectrum. Here's, here's a, a word can do one of two things. It can completely cut you and slice you and stab you. And, when, and even, if you, even if you try to take the word back, you've done the damage. You, you can pull the sword out, still the damage is done. And then a wound, and then a scar, it's the power of words. Or literally the opposite end of the spectrum. You can take a person who has been cut, who has been wounded, and some words actually heal. And I'll bet all of our lives, we've got stories of both of these right here. Words where we have been cut to pieces. And then other times when it wasn't for some word, we'd be devastated. We'd have never healed. Here's another one. Um, It either calms or stirs up strife. How many of us in our lifetime have experienced this one? Uh, It's our next verse. Um, No, I don't have this one up there. Listen to this. A gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. Here's Proverbs 18.6. A fool's mouth brings strife, and his mouth calls for blows. Just one word out of his mouth, and you got a fight on your hands. So just think about your words. You're either stirring up strife, you're either causing trouble, or you're actually, by your words, literally controlling another human being and calming them down. How many times have you used soft words to calm a person down, and it's worked? How many times have soft words worked on you? But how many times has the right word sent you right through the ceiling, put you in complete fight mode by a word? Very powerful. Here's another one I think is really important for us to think about, and this has to do with uh, being reproved or being crushed. Uh, I think we have Proverbs 25. I just had it up there. Look, like apples of gold and settings of silver is a word spoken in right circumstances. Like an earring of gold and an ornament of fine gold is a wise reprover to a listening ear. The whole apples of gold is, is the idea of a designer and a craftsman. And I always think of a jeweler, okay, because you've got sort of that imagery here. You got either somebody who's an artist who really knows how to craft and they're precise. And when, someone, when, when somebody uses words in the way a jeweler would in creating something beautiful, they can literally change our lives. And many of us have been reproved appropriately where someone has had to say something very, very hard to us. And it was received well. But but we've also been reproved, and it was the worst possible way you could do it, had no impact. And there's also what happens if we crush. I think we have another verse. I don't know if I have it up there. 15.4, is it up there? 
Uh, he, it's um, a soothing tongue is a tree of life, but perversion in it crushes the spirit. It's a tree of life, but perversion crushes the spirit. So you can crush. And you know, you want to talk about reality? The truth is you and I are never really ever going to become all that we need to become if there's a whole element of our lives where someone can't say something hard to us. Isn't that true? I mean, right now, some of us will stay in places and in ways and doing things we shouldn't be doing because someone doesn't have the nerve to tell us. This is the, somebody's got to be saying something here or this person might not ever become what they need to become. But wow, do they have to be like a craftsman when they do it. You know how gentle we have to be with each other like as spouses? And if I don't say this right, I'm putting sheets on the couch. If I don't say this right, we got to be like craftsmen. And I'm going to tell you, this is, this is, from the standpoint of the listener, from the standpoint of the listener, how well are you willing to hear words that have been crafted just for you? How well are you willing to hear them? Because they have power if you'll let them have power. And then there's another one that I think is uh, very, very powerful. It has to do with covering and keeping secrets. It's our next verse, eleven thirteen. He who goes about as a talebearer reveals secrets, but he who is trustworthy conceals a matter. Um, how well do you keep a secret? And have you ever assessed yourself when you know something that someone else doesn't know? Have you ever assessed what's going on inside of you when you know that, that someone else doesn't know? And the, and the things that your mind thinks about that, the power it gives you? That you can hardly sustain yourself, like keeping a surprise, how hard that is? Or keeping a secret, something you know negative about someone else? How good are you at secret keeping? Like, are you calm with a secret or are you anxious with a secret? Because it says a lot about you and, and your protection of other people. I mean, it's, it's great to walk around with a little inner philosophy. I have a little bitty inner philosophy on this particular one. Part of it is because of the role that I play as a pastor, and I learn a lot of things about people that I can't tell. And over the years, I've had to learn a secret or a little principle that says, I don't want anyone to have been able to say they heard it from me. I don't want anyone to be able to say they heard it from me. I have not always kept that. It's very hard to do. We have too big of mouths and too prideful heart. But that's, that's the standard I try to keep. Um, but you can shatter a person. Um, and, and there's just all kinds of Proverbs on the topic. So the way that we, another one in Proverbs that's really big is lying. It's lying. Just being deceitful with our speech. Um, 
You know what happens when you lie, when we're talking about, because we're talking about relationships. Listen, fundamentally, relationships are maintained linguistically. The reality that you and I live in is determined by our words. You lie to someone, you've basically, you've basically built a barrier between you and them. You're in one reality and they're in another reality. So you're two different realities. In other words, I've put you outside of my world the moment I've lied to you. That's an incredible statement. It's very isolating lying. And then you've got to go through this whole process of hiding. And so what you've done is you've just done the opposite of community and coming together and bringing together and healing. And how, how do you deal with reality wisely if you're lying? You've, you've just isolated yourself from people. So lying was a, is a huge issue in, in Proverbs. So we have, that's just a little bit of a window into uh, the power of words. So what I gathered from that, just a few little things from a practical standpoint is what I would say. Number one, uh, if, you, if you've got something to say to someone, you could go a lifetime and not say it. We are desperate for the right kind of words. You were wired by God for it. Listen, you were created with a word. You are the result of a conversation. I watched an incredible study this week. I, I watched way too much of it. I went on a rabbit trail, but it was so interesting. It was about, because uh, I like linguistics a lot. I tell you I like physics. Another thing that I really like is linguistics. Uh, and I love to learn about it. We, like we've discovered some new languages, one in Australia, one in, in, uh, in India. Only 800 pe people speak it, it's Kodo. And they, they're doing some things with that language because it's about to go extinct. We have lots of languages that go extinct. There's about 6,909 languages in the world right now. Uh, I remember a few years ago talk, doing some study on linguistics, there was 5,000. So we've discovered quite a few, and in the last few years discovered at least two. Uh, and they're doing all these studies, and they're doing these studies on uh, babies. Because from, the, from zero to seven, a child is literally a genius at, at language. Far better than any adult. By the time you get to adolescence, it drops completely. This is why you can't pass Spanish. Because you drop completely. And by the time you're an adult, you're in the abyss. We can't even find you when it comes to a new language. You're happy to learn one new word. You can't pronounce it well. All right? because it just drops from zero to seven, you're a genius. And uh, only babies, and they got this new machine. It's called a magnetoencephalo uh, something. <laughs> anyway, it's shaped, it's a weird shape. And they put little babies in it and monitors to speak it language. You could speak English to a child for six months. And I'm gonna go off on here because I'm just having fun now. This is the part I didn't know I was gonna do. <laughs> so from six to, you teach a child English up to six months. Then from six to eight months, teach it Mandarin. And a child literally can detect the patterns of every single language you speak to it from zero to like 15 months. Can detect the, the pattern of every language, things adults can't do. Literally can learn languages and, and distinguish the pattern and the inflections of every single language you speak to it. And they're monitoring the brain as this child is learning. 
And it's, it's so many powerful things related to creation because when you think about creation and the way God created us, he used words to do it. He used words to bring reality into existence. It's not crazy that he would judge every word we say and he's not crazy that you and I literally li need words to survive. We've gotta be able to communicate with each other well because what we say to each other has incredible impact on. We used to say sticks and stones will break my bones, but names. How many of you as a kid ever said that? You had to as a kid because the only way to protect yourself or to deceive yourself into thinking that the rotten thing said to you wouldn't hurt. We had to say it. And here's God saying, everything about life, creating, creating out of chaos, making things beautiful, creating reality, all with words. We're desperate for them. We gotta have them. So what I'm saying is you got things you've left unsaid that need to be said to the people around you. You change the world around you if you said them. Get it said. The second one is keep secrets. Protect people. Um, uh, another study from a guy who does linguists and anthropology at Penn State said that our language is we have, if you divide our language up, we have 50% of our words are negative, 30% of them are uh, positive, and 20% are neutral. In other words, there's more negative language, there's more negative vocabulary and regular speak for us than anything else. When you think about the power of words and the people in our lives and the impact we could be having on each other, that's a shame. That's a shame. Um... So monitor your negative talk, I would say. Um, and hold your tongue. Hold your tongue a little more. And really monitor your negative talk. Here's another thing I'll say about words that I found in Proverbs. It's very interesting. You're nourished by your words or, you, or, or your words. Your words not only nourish other people, but you are nourished by them. You live by the fruit of your own words, which means the things that you say actually impact you. Sort of the way they impact water. Either negatively or positively, the things that you say have an, it's almost as if what you, this is a beautiful picture in Proverbs, what you dish out, think I have a couple of verses on there, like 13.2, the fruit of a man's mouth, by, from the fruit of a man's mouth, he enjoys good. Here's what he's literally saying, and I got like five verses. I won't go through them all because of time, but I'll tell you this. Here's what he's essentially saying. You, you know how you, you know, we say of our words, he, dish, he can dish it out? Well, this is literally saying that what you dish out, you actually have to eat yourself. At, in some way, shape, or form, if you're willing to put it out there, you're gonna, it's going to affect you internally or they're going to come back to you in some way. We've all had our words come back to us and that we've had to swallow them back so that you're actually nourished on the things that you say. They impact you. Just profound. And didn't Jesus say, and by the way, this thing about this, man shall not live by bread alone, but by words. Words. That's a profound statement, whether it's God's word, which is what he was referring to, communication, language, same with us. You and I are desperate for each other's words. We're desperate. That's why community is so important. That's why being together is so important. That's why 
crafting words, thinking better about what we say is so, uh, such a great discipline. I was very, very convicted this week about the things that I say to myself. If you were to spend a week like I had to in Proverbs on this subject, you would begin listening to what you say a whole lot better, and you would find yourself saying things that make you feel inadequate, negative. You'd see how much paranoia you have, how much sadness there is in you, how much fear there is in you. You say, I wonder how much of what I'm saying to myself is sort of dictating a reality that I live in and affecting the people that I'm impacting or uh, affecting the things that I'm trying to accomplish in life. Maybe the reason I can't get off a of square one is because of what I keep saying to myself. It's that powerful. So I, I was just um, blown away by that. It was very, very... Uh, so what do our words say about us? I'm going to have to do this one really fast. This is number two. That's the power of words. Here's the, what our words say about us. It's the most important thing you need to know. And we underestimate this. We underestimate the power of words. We underestimate what our words say about who we are. And God is just constantly trying to connect your heart to your words and show you that you, not a word comes out of your mouth that wasn't rooted in your heart. And when you hear that, you got to go, oh my gosh. I think it's real easy with words. And the reason why we uh, sort of underestimate them is because sometimes what comes out of our mouth seems so utterly careless. Sometimes so utterly mean that we don't have the capacity to connect it to who we really are. That's why we often say things like, I was joking. It's a way to sort of make light. In fact, Proverbs chapter 26, I don't have time to go through it, but he compares the madman who throws darts with his words and then says, I was joking. That's Proverbs 26, 18 and following to verse 28, a whole section on words. He said, we're like madmen. One minute we're madmen, the next minute we're trying to come off as clowns to sort of underestimate it. Did you hear that thing said about Trump by one of the, I don't know if it's from Australia, the guy, that the prime minister from somewhere said something mean about Trump at his deal, and then, and then said, uh, that was just good humor. And I thought, that's it. That's exactly what it looks like. And so what we have to do is we somehow, one commentator, Bruce Walkie, said, um, our villainy is, we, 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 we put it off as sort of uh, an act of pleasure. So in other words, because we have to do that, we can't distinguish between cruelty and uh, humor. We're just unable to do it. We're unable to distinguish those. And the only way we can protect our own hearts is to say things like, I was joking. Or how many times have you said, that's not me. <laughs> how many times has somebody said, really mean that? that's not who I am. No, I'm sorry, that, that is who we are. You don't know how dark your heart is until your words say it. But we can't handle even our own, listen, our own judgment. The words we say are our own judgment on our own heart, and we can't even tolerate our own judgment on our own heart. I mean, it's just so profound. I'm sitting here doing this all. I hope you feel convicted because I cried three times this week over the things that I say. 
I just profound. And then uh, I don't even have time to go into this. I read another study of the British Psychology uh, Society did a deal on um, gossip. This was a profound thing because Proverbs is really big on gossip. You know, because <laughs> Proverbs calls them the whisperer, the, da- the dainty morsels we serve each other. Like these really, de- they're like delicacies. And all of us are like, ooh, I want to try that one. So we, we like suck in and we greet, little Proverbs literally has us greedily eating all the dainty morsels that people are throwing out there about other people. And when they did the study of these, these workplaces and all this stuff and did assess it, they came up with a couple of things that were interesting. Number one, there's only one really interesting one. The other ones, we already know gossip hurts. Uh, we already know that the gossip is liked by people in the sense that they have friends because you sort of get information from them. But at the end of the day, nobody ultimately trusts them or respects them. So if you're that person, you might have a lot of people around you. Very few people think much of you. And then the third thing that was really interesting is most of the gossip is not actually intended to hurt the person it's about. Gossip is actually a dainty morsel for the one who hears it and the one who speaks it because it it gives them a sort of a comparison for themselves against other people. It makes them feel better about themselves. They're not, in other words, they're trying to feel better about themselves more than they are trying to hurt another person with their gossip. That's the reason we let ourselves off the hook a whole lot more. I'm not really trying to hurt a person. No, you really do a lot of damage with your mouth when you say things about people. Pascal said, if we all knew what we've said about each other, there'd be like maybe four friends in the whole world. So they really do hurt. But the main reason we do it is because it makes us feel better. It's sort of, a, sort of a weird, sick good news. Good news. It's almost we could announce our gossip with good news. So-and-so screwed up. Aren't you glad? Don't you feel better about yourself? That's how we do gossip. And when you think about that, you're like, wow. We are madmen. And finally, and I'll just close with just this, because I think that's probably enough, although I've got things I can't even get to. Uh, The third thing is, so that's what our words say about us. That's just one window. That's only one window. I don't even have time to give you more. But you think about the words that you say that are trying to make you feel better about yourself. I mean, the the failure of other people is actually good news to you. And then that's what made me think. The word we need before we can change our own words or speech is the good news. Here's what Proverbs says at the end. I got last two verses. Listen to what Proverbs says about good news. Can you bring them up? They're the last two. Like cold water to a weary soul, so is good news from a distant land. And then finally, 15.3, bright eyes gladden the heart. Good news puts fat on the bones. Two great words about good news. And I was thinking about good news because we actually use bad news and it sounds like good news to us because it was something in the world that made us feel better. Well, what's the best news you could ever hear? 
what word do you need to hear before you're ever going to change your words? Because if you're like me, you would probably hear a sermon like this, and you're going to go out today, and you're going to go, I'm going to try my best not to say anything bad today, not to say anything negative today. And I'm going to tell you, you're going to give up trying in about a half hour because it's so hard. And here's the thing, unless you change, unless something changes in your heart, this is the connection. What your words say about you is that you got a bad heart. Until your heart gets impacted, the words that you say are going to fly. You can't contain those. You have to change the heart, which is what the good news of the gospel is all about. That's why Jesus is God's word, John 1. In the beginning, the word became flesh. Remember that? He's God's communication to us. In Hebrews 1, he's the final word. Think about this. In this context, think about the fact that he's the Alpha and the Omega. He's literally the beginning and the end of an alphabet. The beginning and end of every word that can be formalized. That says a couple of things to me. How, 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 how committed to knowing his word should we be into hearing it, into wanting it, and to doing it? Because certainly he's reality. We started this whole thing with life and death, the beginning and the end. He's saying he's the beginning and the end. I'm going to tell you, until God changes your heart to love people. That's why the very first verse, Proverbs 18, when death and life are in the power of the tongue. And then if you go back to that very first verse, Proverbs 18, I want you to see something in there that's really profound. Uh, if you guys can put that up. It's the very first one. The one who speaks rashly. Uh, no, not that one. Uh, there's another one coming up there. What was it? Next one. 1821. Isn't that 1821? No, that was 1821. We needed 1820. Here's what it says. Those who love him, death and life from the power of the tongue. Those who love, the fruit of a man's mouth or stomach satisfied with the product of his lips. That ain't it either, diagummit. I got too many in my head. I got too many in my head. But he talks about those who love their words. How are you ever going to fall in love with your words and love them the way you should so that you'll craft them right? It's not until God grabs a hold of your heart and says, you can't see people like that. You can't use people like that. You you can't devastate people like that. And here's at the end of the day what I think is the most powerful thing about your words. This is how you'll change lust in your heart. This is how you'll change words that come out of your mouth is do you love people? If you love people, you, you don't want to hurt them. You definitely don't want to hurt them with words. You want to affirm them, encourage them, reprove them like a craftsman. Because you know their power. The reason you love words is because you know their power. And you know their power that has been acted on you when Jesus comes into your life. And the gospel, the good news comes into your heart. And then all of a sudden you don't, you're not desperate to lie anymore. You're not desperate to gossip because you don't need the, you don't need the failure of other people to make you look better. Because the gospel has already done its work in you. See, the gospel... In your heart, understanding what Jesus has said to you and what he has said about reality, you don't have to go running around using words that way.
But until God changes your heart. So we underestimate the power of our words. We underestimate what our words say about us. We underestimate the word that can truly change all words we speak. And that is the gospel. Until your heart's changed, your mouth will not. Well, let's pray. Father, I think about James 1.26. I'm going to read it as I pray. It says, If anyone thinks himself to be religious and yet does not bridle his tongue, he deceives his own heart. And this man's religion is worthless. I can't even begin to explore the depths of that. But what a powerful statement, Lord, of the relationship between our, our hearts and our mouths and even our spirituality, our relationship to you, what we deem religious. It's the most important things about you and about who we are, and words are in between. Words are the link. I'm either connected to you or I'm not connected to you. I'm either lying to myself and I'm not even in reality. That's overwhelming to hear. It makes me just sit here and want to say, Lord, over my lifetime, I can't even begin to imagine the sin that I've allowed to occur in my life through words. I can't even do all the sin in the world, but I can say every sin. And Lord, I just, first of all, I think all of us in here need to just confess first. We're very, very sorry for the things that we have said. And we're very, very sorry that we haven't said the things we should. And we ask that your word, your love, would speak to us in a way that would make us treat people differently and use words differently, even the careless ones that we mumble. Father, I pray these things, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.